Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we're grateful that you're watching this program. The purpose of our show is to challenge Mormon polygamists to check out your doctrine, to go back way past Joseph Smith and clear back to Jesus Christ and discover where he ever said that polygamy was God's will for you. Uh, Jesus Christ is the Savior, and if polygamy could help save you, then the Savior himself would have said so. Also, if you or anyone that you know is in polygamy and would like to give out, you can give us a call. We do help people escape polygamy. We provide a safe place for you to go. Everything that we talk about and do is held in strict confidentiality. We have a toll-free number you can call to ask questions or to make arrangements to leave. And our our toll-free number is 877-425-9993. And if you want to make any comments about our show, if you'd like to be a guest on our show, you can email us at email at whatloveisthis.tv for telephone calls. If you'd like to call regarding our show, you can call 385-240-2888. The toll-free number is for those asking questions about getting out of polygamy, and the 385 number is for comments or questions about our show. Now, we have as our uh, guest co-host yes. <laughs> uh, again oh uh, yeah you you do look familiar here and I appreciate you coming back it's my pleasure I just love this yeah <laughs> we do have some interesting topics we always. managed to come up with yeah, huh? always uh, a few years ago I came across a book detailing a concept that is profoundly relative to the topics that we cover on our show this book was written by Marion Stryker and its title is The Pattern of the Double Bind in Mormonism, and we've both been able to go through what's written in it. Uh, The title, at least as experienced in polygamy groups, could just as easily be damned if you do, damned if you don't, damned if you question, and damned if you doubt. (laughs) And of course, in Mormon fundamentalism, there are many doctrines where damnation is is part of it. As I read the book, it completely grabbed my attention because it so accurately describes what happens to the thinking process of those who are indoctrinated into the Mormon faith. This is especially true of those who are born and raised in polygamy. So Earl and I will be discussing this book in a two-part series. Tonight will be part one, and we will do the next part next week. Uh, Please keep in mind that as we talk about these things, when we say Mormonism, we're referring to Mormon as well as polygamy groups, all the polygamy groups, Mm -hmm. because it is the foundation. Now, the concept of the double bind uh, that this book talks about is equally applicable to both the LDS and the fundamentalists because, like we said, Mormonism is the foundation, whether it's polygamy or the LDS church. But first, we want to explain what the double bind is, we find on page 9 of the book. 
Yep. The pattern is a method used that subjugates and dehumanizes. It does this by creating a new fabricated world, the direct opposite of this real world. Okay, so the, we find that there's going to be a, a new reality developed in, yeah. in this double bind. It presents the, an invented world that Mormonism wants its members to believe, and this includes their own invention of eternal life and how to get there. That's important because most people in Mormonism really want to know how to know God yeah. and how to get to heaven. The created world of Mormonism is a closed system, meaning that their authority invalidates personal perceptions and replaces them with their invented reality, or in other words, what they say is only what they say is true is true. For instance, I've spoken with many people who've left Mormonism who were shocked when they discovered that the whole world does not believe in the pre-existence or the three degrees of right. glory. That's right. They grew up believing it. They were taught it was true, but it's not true, uh, and it's not biblical. And but uh, and only Mormonism teaches those things. But they so they were all assume that. Everybody believes the same thing. Mm -hmm, yeah. That's right, because they were in that little Mormon world. The pattern of the double bind is actually mind control. Other phrases for it might be double think or, or double speak or double mind or brainwashing. In her book from page 16, she says this. The dominant character is an authoritarian male figure called a binder. The other character is called the bound and is dependent on the binder. So the binder is the controller who controls the one that he binds. And we need to mention at this point that no one knows what they don't know. I know. That's so That's, crucial. <laughs> it is very crucial. And the nature of mind control is that you don't know that you're under mind control and you'll never know unless you investigate. People grow up in this controlled environment. No matter what anyone says, he believes what he was taught and that's that. He doesn't need to check it out because he thinks he knows it's the truth without having to prove it's true. Part of mind control is the warning against the need to investigate. In fact, there can be a real fear of investigating um, at all. In fact, you've got something that happened at the conference. Yeah, like well, President Uchtdorf gave a f the, the first talk, I think, in the morning session on Saturday, and he presents that the church and the leaders are the ultimate authority, no need to go anywhere else. In other words, the internet. Don't investigate. And yeah. that you shouldn't doubt the authority of the church by going to the internet. And uh, the members are told to rely on their own experiences and not to investigate more complicated and mysterious information. So he's encouraging people to avoid the internet. The irony of that, of course, is that the church itself uses the internet. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. so what they're saying again is, our internet stuff is good. Mm -hmm. You can rely on it, but don't trust anything else. Right. Don't investigate. And and he before said, uh, which is a, a binding of mind control, is if you doubt, doubt your doubts. That's right. Now, in the real world, it is saying you don't need to investigate. Trust us. Only someone with weak faith would doubt, and we're not going to lie to you. This is all double bind stuff. Trust your leaders. Don't question your leaders. Your leaders won't lead you astray. Put your questions on a shelf. They'll be answered someday. These are all mind control statements.
The writer calls this present process that we've just been talking about psychological manipulation. Yeah. From page 16 we quote, The pattern is the method of psychological manipulation the binder uses to bind another to him. Now this is a crucial point for the controller because when it's complete, the one he controls has given over his free thinking and individual identity to the controller and he doesn't realize that's what he's done. The controlled person's mind has become a mirror of the controller's mind that he and he's under their authority. For example, section 132 verses 64 and 65 in the Doctrine and Covenants presents the law of Sarah in polygamy. Now it's a study in contradictions for sure. Now the first wife must agree to her husband's plural wives before he takes them. But if she doesn't agree, she's condemned as a sinner and he's free to take the plural wives anyway. That's definitely a double bind. <laughs> this is a double bind. In verse 65 it says, Therefore it shall be lawful in me if she receive not this law <clears throat> for him to receive all things whatsoever I the Lord his God will give unto him because she did not believe and administer unto him according to my word. And she then becomes the transgressor, and he is exempt from the law of Sarah, who administered unto Abraham according to the law when I commanded Abraham to take Hagar to wife. And how many people actually go to the story of Abraham and Hagar to see if God really told Abraham to take Hagar to wife? Yeah, didn't you, happen. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you need to do that because God never said that. Another example is temple uh, attendance. Many people, I've heard many people complain that after their first visit to the temple, they came out of that feeling really weird. weird. They were shocked uh, about what was going on in there. But they were told... Don't give up, just keep going back, and soon it won't seem so weird to you. We well, of course it won't. Almost all experience that, either in the initiatory or the baptism for the dead, or just uh -huh. the, and you back keep going back. the ways of killing yourself, you know, uh, yeah, you were doing oaths. that before 1890, yeah. or 1990. And uh, that's the double scary. bind. That's, that's the, the double, double bind. bind. They bind your mind into what... You will eventually come to understand it. And then you see your family there, and you trust them and love mm -hmm. them, and figure they wouldn't be leading you astray. Right. Leaders certainly wouldn't, so... Mm -hmm. Right, well, well, let's <laughs> read from page 16. It creates a whole new orientation to the world, a conversion from the logical to the illogical, the real to the unreal, the truth to the lie. Again, we have to make, help you to understand that you don't know what you don't know, and this is what they're doing. They're bringing you into the unknown and into some mind control. The bound person doesn't know that the binder has taken control of his mind and his thinking. Um, for instance, in the real world, after the flash flood in the FLDS community we've talked about before, the FLDS accused the outside world of genocide against them. But in the real world, genocide against them has never been planned or practiced. But since the FLDS reality is a close system, their perception is that the wicked world wants to destroy them because the binder, Warren Jeffs, has told them that and they will believe it without ever investigating the facts. We have an allegory that we're going to talk about of how this works out in Mormonism. Uh, but first, let's say you want to, to find God and you want to learn how to get to heaven, and Mormonism promises that they can do that for you. That is the promise. Yeah. That is. So they become a Mormon or a polygamist, whatever the case may be, which immediately places you under their spiritual authority. Then their authority turns around and places the burden of reaching your goal totally on you, 
even though they promise that only through them can you reach your goal. You soon discover you're unable to do everything they require and they place the blame of failure on you. To illustrate how the author applies this to Mormonism, we'll use an example she uses in her book, a quote from page 17. This person has a deep-seated need and seeks a solution to a problem. Having no previous experience to guide her and going into unknown territory, as it were, she seeks out those who seem to know and have solutions that would fit her needs. And that's what the, we do when we're going to Mormonism or the polygamy group, to yeah. find our way to heaven. And to put it in a working scenario, this is the allegory, let's say that I need to replace the carpet in my living room. I can't remove the old carpet and install the new carpet by myself. I need help. So I find a contractor and I hire him to do it. And he agrees to everything needed to install the carpet and, and do it in a timely manner and to my general satisfaction. So that's his part of the contract. My part is to be sure everything is ready and to enjoy the carpet. The details are worked out between us and a contract is agreed upon. Now let's read from page 17. She contracts to pay for what she as the purchaser has ordered. The contractor in turn will be working for her and will be paid in full when he has completed his assignment. The woman is relieved, trusts the contractor, and begins to work so that she will be able to pay him for his labor. But then the contractor has a problem. An emergency develops and he must leave immediately. Now, I don't want delays, and so I agree to help him finish the job by doing some of his work while he's away. Unfortunately, he leaves without supplying me with the tools or the general knowledge of how to do his work. The contractor returns, but something's wrong. She's failed to properly uh, to do properly what was expected of her. She now is expected again to honor her promise to aid him by doing it right this time, as the contractor still has others who need him more than she does. Now this is a very important stage of the double bind. He is turning the situation around to benefit him rather than to help her, which is what Mormonism does. It's twisted, but please stay with us. It'll make sense in a minute or two. <laughs> the polygamy group or the Mormon church makes certain promises. All are centered on the member trusting them to guide them to know how to find God and gain eternal life. The members trust the church, believing all their promises to help them get to heaven. They often call heaven a gift, but they don't tell you that you must work hard for that gift. And the member doesn't ask the question as why a gift must be worked for. <laughs> the, the church transfers the burden of gaining eternal life to the member, and when the member fails, it's always his fault. The promise of eternal life sounds simple, but they don't give full disclosure to the members about all the do's and the don'ts and the works and the rituals required and all the hoops they must jump through to get there. The church never takes responsibility for not being able to supply what they promised they could do for the member. And the roles become blurred, and this is where the double bind becomes clear. They take instead of give, <laughs> and they get by with it. We've asked the question multiple times, why are the members held at a higher standard than their leadership is, whether it's polygamy group or the LDS? Page 19. Page 19. The, she continues to trust and aid the contractor. After all, she thinks, if she had been able to do the work right, as expected of her, it wouldn't have had delays. Therefore, it was her fault. She decides to work harder to do it right this time. 
Now we go back, the contractor was called away and unable to complete his job, and that's what's going on here now. It's her fault because she hasn't been able to do it right. Yeah. And so her mind has been being manipulated. In fact, she most likely even makes excuses defending this lack of integrity of the church. She doesn't realize that they're using false obligation and have changed the roles so that the responsibility has become hers instead of theirs. They apply pressure to keep the members bound deeper and deeper into the church's control. From page 19. The woman, still trusting in the word of the contractor and thinking she has waited patiently long enough, asks him to take his share of the contracted responsibility of finishing the project. He responds, My other clients are more in need than you, implying you want to be the center of the universe. How can you be so selfish? You want to be first. So he's turned it over on her. He's, her fault. He, he's made it her problem. This is the double bind. The member is in the wrong if she continue, doesn't continue on to do her part of the his part of the work. But at the same time, she does it wrong because she doesn't know how to do it right. Now, labels of shame or false guilt will be placed on her. She might even be told, Heavenly Father, so disappointed in you. Have you ever heard that? I have. That's a horrible thing. And she's constantly challenged to do better and better. The original promise doesn't seem to matter anymore. The member has now been forced into unearned guilt for expecting the original promise to be fulfilled. She doesn't have the right to assert her rights. The responsibilities have been reversed because she hasn't honored her obligation to help them do their work to help her not fail. Now this scenario messes with our minds. It does. And yet it's a normal procedure in Mormonism. Mormonism promises to provide uh, spiritual enlightenment and the only true way to heaven, and you must trust them um, by being part of their group. And then they turn around and place the burden on you. And you discover you're unable to do what they are now requiring, and it's your fault when you fail, not theirs. You know, one thing we talked about a little earlier was the idea that many of us brought things to the attention of our bishops and state presidents and state presidencies and are not getting answers. Yes. We have questions, they don't have answers, and they totally ignore us, or mm -hmm. at least don't have an ability to answer the questions that are out there. Uh, or some of them will pull answers out of the air that doesn't fit into kind of contradictory maybe. And or they just bear their testimony. Yeah, I know the I know church, church is, true. is true. I know Joseph's a prophet and the Book of Mormon's true. And we know from what we've studied that there are things that we need to understand and they have no answers other than their testimony. And with them, the good is never good enough. That's true. It was never, as I was growing up, no matter how good of a job I did or attitude yeah. I had or what, it's never good enough. It's always a pressure. Do better. You have to do better. You've got to well, do you've better. You've always got genealogy or family history or temple attendance or some other thing that, that needs to be something. done. It's always something. And so you never reach the goal that's suspected of you because you can never fully please the religious authority. This is Mormonism. But there's hope. Jesus Christ. And he knew, Jesus knew that religions would trap people with such heavy religious burdens. And so he said this. In Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus takes yeah. our burdens 
Uh, we don't have to be burdened down with religious works and rituals. Jesus has already done everything that we need. We don't try anymore when we're trusting Jesus. We trust, we don't try. But in Mormonism, you're guilty if you don't try hard enough. You're guilty if you try and fail. You're guilty if you dare to question. You're guilty if you doubt what's going on. And now there's a new guild, isn't there? Looking in the internet. That's right. That's <laughs> so, what we're told. A whole brand new guilt there. Mormonism promises to supply our spiritual needs, but they don't and they can't. They blind you or bind you by their patriarchal authority, which gets this tenacious grip on its members. And suddenly the church who is to provide for the member becomes the one who demands from him and then condemns his failures. But there is one fear that the Mormon authority has, and that is the danger that the member may come to their senses and walk away from their authority. They may actually, the members may actually, I think you said, <laughs> give yourself permission to think, right. uh, to ask questions, to search the internet, to choose to no longer be subjected to the abusive and authoritative religious control of Mormonism. Let's read her quote from page 24. In the real world, human beings by nature are curious, and curiosity will always raise its head to question when there is perceived to be too great an amount of contradictions. And I think this, this threat, so to speak, of not looking at the internet will backfire, because I think people are going to be challenged by that. Well, I'm willing to look at the truth, or mm -hmm. look at and evaluate things for myself. I, I think it'll be a problem. We can't really know the truth until we look on all sides of the issue. That's right. All sides of it. We can't just look at one side and say we know it. That's right. And again, that goes back to we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. So they're going to the internet to find what they don't know, and they're told them don't don't do that. Right. And and whenever we're told not to do, you know, things to investigate. Yeah. That's when you should do it. Yeah. That's, that's really when, when you our should. Our curiosity will take over. I think. I, I hope so. I hope that people will have the courage to investigate. Um, now, she said that by nature we're curious and um, we're, we want to question and that there, this, we find too many contradictions and that is so true in Mormonism, whether it's polygamy or the LDS church. The Kingston group often referred to, uh, to this as holding the carrot six inches in front of our noses <laughs> and, and just barely keep it out of our reach. And that that way they could keep us following after their carrot forever. Oh and, goodness, and basically, really? <laughs> yeah, basically a lot of people have done that. The binder will reassure them like this from page 24, we quote. Yes, the promise on the end of the stick is still there, but no, you don't have it yet. It will be obtained sometime in the future if you're patient and work hard enough to reach it. So there you go. It's all on you. The burden on you. Now this is the crux of the problem. If you work hard enough, you might reach it. And there's that word, works. The religion tells you they can supply what is needed to know God and then give you a list of works and rituals and obligations and polygamy and temple work and sacraments and callings and on and on it goes until you die, never knowing if you really made it. And all these works are dictated by the religion, not by God. The unworthy label is held over their heads when they fail, and they're told they just have to keep on working harder. And all this can be avoided by trusting God alone yeah. and His way to heaven. Isn't yeah. Christianity as simple? It is simple. It's very godlike, and it's, it's freedom 
to think and to, to look and to have trust in what Christ did for us. It's freedom to search the internet without a guilt trip. Yeah, that's for sure. It's freedom to ask questions without being told, oh, you, you lack faith. Yeah. It, it's freedom to, um, to be able to talk to people that doesn't belong to our faith. Yeah. You know, it's well, I had a little list of things. I don't know where your time is exactly. Uh, well, yeah, go ahead. What? But it had a, it we talked about mind control and the double bind, but not telling you everything at the beginning. Yeah, you know, that yeah exactly. And even though a person is encouraged to ask questions, you're not permitted to question. And don't talk to anyone who's ever left the yeah, church. Yeah. And the, organiza the organization has special information, and this is the only place you can get it. That's a good one, I thought. Uh -huh, it is. And then finally, don't go to the internet. And the other thing I think is, it's make they make it awkward to ask questions, even though they say, "Sure, ask questions," but they make it awkward to ask questions because our little Mormon antennas go up, and we know that you're questioning. Somebody asked me um, the other day. She didn't. She's she's not a polygamist or Mormon, but she's been studying these things. And she asked me the question, "What does it mean?" I keep hearing people say the shelf finally fell. Oh. <laughs> and she says, "What does that mean?" <laughs> so I explained to her that yeah. when we ask questions, they'll often say, "Well, put it on the shelf. Yeah. Someday God will reveal it to us, or yeah. you know, don't you don't need it now." And or you might hear Joseph's boast that he was did a more great uh, did a greater work than Jesus or you find out masonry in the temple those are things you just keep putting back up on the shelf and and then uh, eventually it pops <laughs> right. the shelf falls <laughs> right. the, the shelf falls I explained that to her and she laughed and she thought well that is so true but that is and you know what again I, I mentioned again you you brought up the thing about questions uh, the disciples always asked Jesus questions yeah he always did he never told them to put it on the shelf no he challenged them to to uh, to study he challenged them to look at things and to think things out he gave he would give them questions or parables so that they could get their brain in gear. Yeah and think Very through true. these things Very true. and the truth can stand the test the truth can stand the test of the internet it can stand the test of questions yeah. it doesn't matter what it is the truth can handle it that's right and if they don't have the truth then they're going to come up with all those things yeah. to keep the the member busy doing something else rather yeah. than Knowing the truth, and not not allow them to think for themselves, really. Right. Well, they they're the not thinking's been done. Well, it, isn't that kind of what he said in this conference again? Isn't just to trust the leaders, don't go oh, to the definite, internet. Oh, definitely, He gave the example of going to a doctor and then, or was going to go to a doctor with a problem, but decided to also go to the internet to see what it had to say, and then he realized, and of course, the doctor was representative of the church. But no, don't don't go to the internet. Just go to the authority. Just I, I say what the what leaders say. I would come back with that though and say um, even the doctors will tell you to get a second opinion. <laughs> well, one doctor actually said that they go to the internet to see what <laughs> what people are seeing and and because there's so much information out there, it's impossible for them to even keep up. So. Right, and yeah. and they're really in reality outside of the the faced forced reality of Mormonism. In reality. Um, 
we should search and we should and part two we're going to cover some of these things because this is a two-part show and actually we are out of time now but we're going to begin uh, finishing the double bind of mormonism and polygamy as we share personal experiences and continue through the book as she illustrates how people are in it and how they're trapped and how they can get out so thanks i appreciate um we just want you to know that there's no planet uh, on this planet there is no religion or person or group or anything that can help you know god only god can help you know god and um doing works is alienating you from him knowing jesus is simple there's simplicity in knowing god's way to heaven no one needs them no one needs polygamy to please god our ticket to heaven is jesus christ and him alone thank you for watching polygamy what love is this This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.